Good afternoon and welcome to Dark Histories at the Secret University. Idea being here to give you some of the forbidden, tabooed, whitewashed, suppressed histories that I've researched in around 20 years of studying and publishing mummies, cannibals and vampires being probably the most famous example of this, the white Christian cannibalism of Northern Europe going on for over 200 years uh, and at its height perhaps at just the time when Europeans were demonizing the peoples of the New World, uh, often falsely but also often inaccurately as cannibals whilst they were doing this on an industrial scale themselves. The idea of the secret university is inspired by a couple of things. I had a wonderful university education, much of it for free, and that tragically is now long, long behind us, a kind of unimaginable memory for students saddled with staggering amounts of debt, which much dictate the course of their lives after graduation in, in so many cases, is also based on the fact that universities tend to falsely narrow your field of inquiry, over-specialise, and there's something to be said for being an expert in a certain area, but there's also something to be said for having a bigger picture and having a wider and more varied kaleidoscope of ideas, of questions, of subjects. So I'm going to be trying to offer people an experience of university that is, for one thing, free and for another, is much broader than you might tend to get from just one lecturer at university. Not everything I'll be doing will be dark by any means. There'll be poetry, there'll be book recommendations and reviews. There'll be discussion of pop culture right down to pretty much now on television and film. There'll be politics, there'll be ecology. One thing there will be a lot of is the paranormal, the field of ghosts and poltergeists and more. And it's been good to see my existing books on this subject selling with a new article uh, out now. Uh, about the possibly higher psychic abilities of women as compared to men. The two books you want to look at if you're interested in the subject are A Century of Supernatural Stories and A Century of Ghost Stories. But I'm also writing at the present time uh, a new definitive book on this topic called We Need to Talk About Ghosts. Why do we need to talk about ghosts? We do, I think, because this subject is lurking there within the lives, the personal histories, some of the most important events in a person's existence in plain sight, but has been suppressed by new forms of pseudo-scepticism, of mockery, of embarrassment, of trolling uh, in lots of cases. And I'll give this kind of problem in a just potted version of my own history of experience of the paranormal of ghosts of poltergeists. When I was just 19, my father died suddenly uh, with just a few days gone after a, a heart attack. And at this point, nothing could convince me that he had not simply gone forever. There was nothing of him left except what survived in our memories. 
that was in 1989 and it was just around that time that I had a wonderful two years studying A-levels at St Albans Sixth Form College and one of my most memorable lecturers, many people will still remember him now in his 80s, Mike Strange has been writing his memoirs which are terrifically good fun and great social history among other things, War Baby is the first of them. And Mike had a knack of working out when we weren't really up for any more A-level sociology. So he would just calmly drop Weber, Durkheim, Marx and tell us one of the many wonderful stories from his past. And one of them was a story of a poltergeist which dogged him and his wife and their very young children for several months in their house in St Albans. And this was in a way the strangest experience I'd ever had at that time, it would have been about 20 by now, very much in need of believing in ghosts, uh, with my father just recently dead. What actually happened was this, it was, it was impossible to believe Mike telling you things like he was watching a picture being flipped upside down with no one touching it over and over again. He had a couple of ornaments belonging to him and his wife pulverized into powder he was himself thrown out of bed three times quite some distance and the bed flipped up it was a very heavy pallet bed and much much more than this stranger than this in fact the problem here was that you simply could not disbelieve anything Mike told you because he was the most trustworthy person you could possibly imagine anyone who remembers him now will say the same I'm sure but you simply could not believe what he was saying in this case because there was no comparison to it. There was no logic to it. There was no framework to it. It was facts out of nowhere. It was madness without uh, an explanation, without a, a foundation to it. So I had the strange experience for over two decades of neither quite believing nor disbelieving what Mike had told me. When I was at a house, lodging at a house in Edinburgh uh, in the mid-90s, I had another experience uh, which was reported, uh, the reporting of an experience to me by one of the um, people who lived in the house as permanent resident. And it was about this woman's father who himself had died quite suddenly quite young. Uh, and whose clothes and shoes were all still in uh, a large new town wood floored room next to the kitchen. And one evening we were sat, uh, just her and I, talking in the kitchen. And she described to me how she and her male partner had been just where we were. And suddenly it was as though all the shoes, and quite a lot of them on the wooden floor, were hammering on the floor in the room next door. There was nobody there. Her partner, who was thoroughly as atheistical as me at that time, was ashen and aghast at this. And she, in terror, shouted, just stop it, just stop it. And it all stopped. Looking back on this later, I worked out that, well, she was very highly strung. She was actually causing it. Uh, and so with a violent outburst, she spontaneously also stopped it. This was as far as I could get my head around poltergeists in the period uh, of 2013 and after. And by this time I was lecturing at Durham, having lectured previously at Cardiff University, and I purely stumbled upon the subject of poltergeists. I was researching my new book, The Real Vampires, 
and I can make sense of almost all the strange folklore in the world of the real vampires, sometimes as late as the 20th century. Except for one thing, from the 16th century through to the 20th, and all across different countries, from people who couldn't join up their stories, and in fact couldn't read or write in lots of cases, they kept saying the same thing. The vampire threw people out of bed, it beat them up, it threw their furniture around, it made hammering noises on their roofs and on their houses. And so by chance, I found myself lured into the wonderful labyrinth of the poltergeist reading about this, which I had to do because I needed to know more about the subject, made my head hurt like nothing else ever had. And I'd studied Lacan, Derrida, and some pretty heavy critical theory and philosophy in previous years. It made my head hurt. It made me kind of angry in a way, but it seemed to have a weird kind of pattern and logic to itself once you've read enough stories and compared them. And so it was that coming out of the British Library with a copy of Sitwell's Poltergeists on my desk there uh, one summer day, I went to have lunch with a friend and colleague that I'd known for eight years, asked them, have you ever come across poltergeists? Had them go silent, white, freeze up for about a minute and then ask me, could we go somewhere more private? And this was just the start of realizing that if you talk to people about poltergeists, about ghosts, they will tell you stories. I was still a very long way from taking poltergeists as ghosts at this point. Uh, and I was a very long way from realizing how easy it is to get a poltergeist or a ghost story by just walking up to people in the park and asking them, do you believe in ghosts? So this is one crucial reason we need to talk about ghosts. And I'll be detailing the whole journey of that experience from being thoroughly atheistical about the afterlife to the moment when my mother came back to say goodbye a week after she had died of COVID-19. My view of this is not a Christian one. It's not a religious one in any conventional sense. And its version of afterlife, based on what I've read in many, many accounts, is actually a matter of reincarnation as much as any kind of version of the Christian heaven. Let's go into an actual case now uh, to give you some detail in what I can appreciate might be a quite mind bending uh, and frankly irritating if you've never come across this before subject. I would feel quite irritated about it if someone was telling me about this. Uh, 10 or 11 years ago, but for the past nine years, I've heard countless of these stories, many from people I know very well looking me right in the eye. Now, the story that is one of the best in my first book on this topic, A Century of Supernatural Stories, is the case of the haunted house at Clewer near Windsor, summer 1841, a detached house occupied by two elderly retired people and their two daughters, who we can assume uh, must be around middle age, not young, uh, and their servant, who uh, evidently was young, as this was often the case, and might in fact be just 14 when they're wrenched out of their home to go into domestic service. They're all beset uh, in this summer 
in what's a thoroughly detached house by hammering noises, absolute hammering racket, so loud that it can be heard up to 400 or 500 yards away by tenants who are presently threatening to give notice to their landlords if this does not stop. Now, this starts to run and run in the British press and gets taken seriously partly because of the nature of the witnesses. This is the Victorian era and, of course, therefore, a period essentially of snobbery. So if a reverend, if a major and various other gentlemen of standing come and hear this hammering noise on one particular door near the water closet and say that they have heard this noise, then they get taken seriously. So the story runs and runs in the papers and people go to every effort to try and find out if there's a natural cause. They take the particular door that seems to be getting hammered on, although no one can be seen at all at any point. They take it off its hinges and move it to the back of the water closet. They dismantle the floor and go into the drains to check there's no foul air causing blockages and banging in the pipes, although it would be quite a plumbing problem, I'm sure any plumber would assure you, to be heard 500 yards away. They work out that the door seems to be getting hammered on, or at least the spot where the door was, because things fall off it if you put them on, uh, given the power of the racket that it's being subjected to. Now, at one point, a policeman is actually installed and put beside the door. Hammerings continue. He simply cannot find anybody. At another point, um, one of the witnesses decides to stay up all night by the door and no noises are heard at this point for the entire night until 6am in the morning when they restart with a vengeance. Presently, the whole thing gets so bad uh, and simply will not stop, so that the family actually does move out of its house. This is a pretty drastic course of action, and they're far from being the only people to be chased out of their house by a poltergeist. What was going on here? Well, some of you will know, some of you won't, but comparison with countless other cases suggests that there is what you call an agent to a poltergeist case. That is, one person who is followed around by the phenomena, and this will happen if you move house, as happened with, in fact, my friend at the poltergeist of two different houses after moving. And not only is it following them around, but there is strong evidence that it is using their personal energy to create whatever chaos it's causing, whether it's throwing things around, uh, whether it's making a hammering racket, etc. And in the Victorian period, it does seem that more of these agents were female. They also tended to be young. There were various reasons, unfortunately, for a young uh, female servant, especially, to be traumatized, perhaps partly just because they were wrenched out of their family so very young, partly also because they weren't treated very well um, from mere bullying uh, and disrespect down to the level of actual sexual abuse, which unfortunately records show us was surprisingly common in a genteel household. So what happens here? Well, the family leaves and the noises stop 
uh, from this point on and are not heard again. Now, if you're an absolute diehard pseudo-skeptic, and there was a bit of a split in the Victorian period between people who would take the paranormal seriously and people who are utterly derisive of it, then if you were such a pseudo-skeptic, you would simply say, well, this girl was hoaxing it, you take the family out and it all stops, abracadabra. Problem being that nobody saw anybody hoaxing and that in fact the level of the noise alone, apart from the fact of making the noise and then running away without getting detected, would suggest that it simply wasn't possible to hoax this case. If we go back to the point at which there was no noise heard at all that night and then it starts up at six in the morning, what's the one factor there? In terms of the servant who being young, female probably was the agent, unwitting and involuntary. Well, she was probably actually asleep being a servant. It's very likely that she got up at six o'clock, uh, if not earlier, to start her duties. And so the noise starts up again because it is using the energy of her body. It's very rare for poltergeist phenomena to occur when the agent is asleep. And there's strong evidence that uh, the energy of a healthy, fit body, although usually one that's distressed in some way, is needed to create these phenomena. If someone's very sick and bedridden, then poltergeist phenomena, which have been traumatizing a family for weeks or months, will suddenly stop completely. There are two cases, at least, of this. What else have we got in this remarkable case? Well, the degree of determination to not believe that the paranormal is possible in the super rational enlightened uh, Victorian era can be so strong that your alternative explanation when you cannot accuse people of standing reverend major gentleman etc of lying uh, in the Victorian era, what are you going to do? What actually happens here is that your rational explanation, and people often use the phrase uh, rational explanation about ghosts and poltergeists, I prefer a rational explanation. There's nothing irrational about ghosts or poltergeists, it just requires a different framework of rationality. But the rational explanation for a lot of these uh, cases, if you weren't accusing a poor servant of superhuman feats of technical hoaxing, would be something like this. Somebody presently writes into one of the newspapers after this has been running and running for weeks uh, and explains that the West Indian cockroach is quite a menace uh, in the London area or the southeast during the summer and it makes tremendous noise at night by whacking its feet on tables. So yes, we have a West Indian cockroach given to whacking its feet on tables at night, able to make a noise heard 500 yards away, which in fact was mostly heard during the day. So here your rational explanation becomes more ridiculous than actually admitting that maybe it was a poltergeist. And there's something that in the super modern high tech 19th century, you do not understand. One great thing about historic cases when they're this detailed is that we're always getting rather silly demands for proof and videos and photos uh, of the paranormal, which unfortunately now could be fabricated with modern technology. But if you want a case that, as it was reported, sounds remarkably persuasive and detailed and long running, this is a great one. The Haunted House at Clewer, Windsor, 1841. If you are a modern pseudo-skeptic, misusing the term skeptic, which actually means to look out, then 
go and hoax that event in a house of that kind detached with the technology that was available in 1841 i would like to see people do it i doubt they could this is just one of many dark histories from the secret university which i'll be sharing in coming weeks and months many thanks for listening <laughs>